Welcome to The Hollow Point, your source for the latest guns, gear, and gossip, with your host, Rich Nance and Mike Barilla. All righty, welcome to the show. Mike Brilla here, uh, joined as always by Rich, the dynamic one, Nance. Nice. We haven't been fired yet. We've done a couple of these. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know who's going to fire us, but... <laughs> must be a very dynamic guest. <laughs> must be, must be that. So, you know, um, we had a good uh, good response for the first few episodes. We're going to keep it going here. You know, um, let's talk. This is going to be our Black Friday episode. Nice. Exciting, right? <laughs> Exciting for you as a, as a uh, two gun store owner, yeah. Yeah, right. That's it's it's a it's a holiday of sorts, I guess. Um, speaking of Black Friday, you know, you have any good stories? I know you're a law enforcement officer. Uh, how how often do you have to break up fights at the local Walmart? You know, I try not to work. You know, on the morning of Black Friday when I can help it. That's, but, that's uh, pretty smart. No, uh, you know, at the big stores, the uh, the WalMarts and those types of things, there are there are some pretty crazy. Uh, escapades that occur on on black friday people fighting over things i remember when i was a kid this is before your time but it was it was like beanie babies right you'd have like grand grandmothers in a in a in a slug fest over a, you know a particular <laughs> beanie baby that they wanted to uh give their Aren't you like the, the cabbage patch kids yeah, cabbage uh, generation patch. isn't there that isn't that up more up your street? there you go that's even going back further <laughs> your grandfather must have told you about that one <laughs> something like that <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting time, you know, it, especially here, uh, in California right now, we kind of have that, that artificial boom still going because of all these new gun laws. So I don't know what Black Friday is going to bring, you know, we have some good, uh, good specials at the store and all, but we'll see, you know, guns are, guns are always kind of, kind of weird on Black Friday. Yeah. I mean, I could see that, uh, guns are something that I would imagine people buy sort of through the year. It doesn't really matter if it's a holiday or not. And of course, when there's a good deal, but if most gun buyers are like me, they don't really shop around for the ultimate best deal. It's just kind of like, hey, I need a new gun. Oh, I want that one. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people do. You know, I'm sure there'll be some online deals. Are, are I'm sure we'll be we're going to be transferring a lot of stuff uh, come uh, come next week. But you know, like accessories are the main things. You know, I'm sure I'm sure everybody's going to be uh, selling a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and. Uh, I think that that is a good time. I, I think accessories are something also that people buy for uh, someone else uh, more so than yeah, good presents, than you know, knives, all that sure. like, stuff like that. That, sure. that that's usually pretty the tactical stocking stuff. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, kind of going off that theme. You know, th- talking about um, gear, and you know, you, you don't always shop around for the best deal, but. Uh, what what do you look for as far as gear selection? You know, you've trained a lot of people. You've you've seen what works, what doesn't. I have in the range. You know, I I have a huge case of rental guns. I also know in in the general sense what works, what doesn't. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's such a broad topic. I, I just to break it down a little bit, like with an AR, um, some of the best advice I had with an AR-15 was at Patrol Rifle School, uh, that was actually. Um, through work that was taught by a guy named R.K. Miller, who's an excellent instructor. He said there's two things you need, you know, talking about a patrol rifle for a cop, a white light attached to the uh, AR and a sling. And I mean, that's pretty darn good advice. Everything else, it could be of benefit, but those are the two absolute necessities for a cop. Now it could be argued for home defense, how relevant is a sling? Well, you you guys took that uh, advice to heart. You guys are still running irons, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that advice was like in the 1970s, and it's still uh, we're still abiding by it. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, um, 
a sling is, is good for home defense. I think it's good to have a sling on there because a sling can be like a holster. It could be that uh, when the situation is de-escalated um, through whatever means, um, you don't need both hands on the gun. You can uh, let go of the gun. So I think a sling is a good idea. I'm not sure how important it is to sling up, you know, when you hear something in the night and you decide yeah. to deploy your AR. Uh, but it is good to have. So sling and a white light definitely for ARs. Um, when you talk about, you know, handgun accessories, again, a white light is, is pretty important, especially on a home defense gun. Um, I, I don't have a lot of uh, concealed carry rigs set up for lights. Um, I don't, I'm not sure exactly. I can't answer why that is. I, I think partially because... It's just harder to carry with a light. Yeah, it's harder to carry. It's bulkier, and, and there weren't as many holster options, you know, in the past. Um, I think we're making strides toward that. I do think that uh, red dots on pistols are the wave of the future or maybe the wave of the present, you might say, but uh, I've been saying that for a while. I, I think that, um, you know, backup sights, iron sights are sort of an issue as are holsters when you're talking about things like for law enforcement. Uh, for civilians, there's a lot of good uh, carry rigs. I have ones, uh, uh, one from Keeper's Concealment that's made for a, uh, it's a Delta Point Pro that happens to be on my Glock 17. It works really well. I mean, when you wear that appendix, you can you can hide it really easily, and you have the benefits of a red dot. You know, Like anything else, it can fail. Um, you know, One of the things we're going to talk about later today is lasers, and those can be a great benefit. But again, uh, you can't just learn how to shoot with a red dot or a laser. You have to know how to shoot with irons because that's the lowest common denominator. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, you know, personally, as far as, as far as pistols go, I'm a huge Glock fan. Uh, <laughs> call me a fanboy, whatever. But uh, from my experience, you know, I've just, I've, I've seen them work at classes and um, on the ranges day in and day out. You Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in the three years, I think we've only had one Glock go down. Um, and I mean, it actually still worked. It's just the slide was cracked. But um, at that point, you know, the things just keep keep chugging along. That's why I know people complain about, you know, some of the ergonomics or that, oh, my hand doesn't fit this gun. I, I don't buy into that where mm. your hand has to be a perfect fit for the gun. You should be able to shoot just about any gun off the shelf. What cracks me up a little bit is that people assume that like a high-end 1911 is going to help the average shooter shoot so much more accurately than a Glock. And it's like the average shooter is not good enough for there to even be a difference. Now, I do think a 1911, especially due to the trigger, is a... It's an easier gun to shoot. It's an easier gun to shoot. Now, it's more difficult when you consider the manual of arms because you have the thumb safety and the grip safety and stuff. So it's harder to learn to shoot that gun safely. Uh, also, it needs more maintenance. You know what I mean? You have to have more upkeep. Whereas, like for cops, a lot of cops, we want a 1911, we want a 1911, I say... After I look at their Glocks, you know, as an armor, you do not want a 1911. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially from an agency standpoint, you know, I don't get me wrong, I love 1911s, but from an agency for a, to be the guy that's in charge of maintaining all those, it's it's different. You know, you go to a Glock armor school, it's it's a day and half of that day is just bullshitting about random stuff. You know, you can knock out that entire course in an hour if you really wanted to. Um and that'll keep the guns running forever. Where if you um, if you're a 1911 armor, you know you go to school for three weeks, you're just touching on the basics. Sure, no, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. You know, like I went to uh, Colt Armor School, we were dealing with um, you know AR-15s, and it was like uh, I learned very well how to take everything apart and put it back together. But unfortunately, at that particular class, I didn't learn a whole lot about diagnosing problems and things like that and really how the gun worked so uh, but but i was definitely confused uh, i knew how to put this thing back together <laughs> it doesn't take much yeah, right? yeah that's true <laughs> had any math 
to it. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> now, you know, um, speaking on the range, we, you know, we've had millions of rounds fired through our, through our, some of our rentals, maybe not quite as much as, you know, I like on ARFCOM, we're reading the, the threads from the guys at uh, uh, Battlefield Vegas because they go through, I mean, you know, huge amounts more than I, than I ever will. But That's a neat place, by the way. Yeah, and the, the, the one of the armors over there keeps up uh, posts about what works, what doesn't, you know, kind of has detailed pictures about what breaks on, on ARs, on AKs, on, on clocks, on anything, you know, because everything breaks at a certain point. Um, but, you know, from my personal experience, I can tell you 1911s go down the quickest on the range, especially uh, without a dedicated, you know, maintenance kind of sure. um, program. Um, ARs work. It seems the the cheaper the AR is, the the longer it runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, except for you know the longest running AR we have on the shelf is a Daniel. Uh, the, those Daniel defense guns just keep running. I think it's on its third charging handle and second bolt. Um, but besides that, <laughs> the thing is just awesome. You know, Mike, it's funny because everyone wants like the tightest tolerances and every. You don't want tight tolerances when you're talking about a defensive, you know, gun. You you want something that's going to run. No, it's going to be less finicky. That's going to take every round. You try to chamber. Yeah, and I mean, our range is 25 yards indoor, and people still can't hit a silhouette at seven yards with an AR. So exactly, <laughs> there is that. Um, now, so you know, from my going back to kind of my experience, you know, the the guns on the range that work the best are simple DI guns. Um, you know, quality DI guns, the Daniel defenses, Smith and Wesson sport finally went down. It just shot out its barrel. I mean, it it was just, it had no rifling left, but besides that, it all worked. Um, you know, unfortunately I can't, I don't know if this is the the case everywhere, but for ours, the the piston guns just don't work. Hmm. Um, you know, I haven't had an eight, the, the only one I'd, I, I caveat there is the HK416. I haven't, you know, had one on those, the, on the range. So I don't know, you know, everybody seems to talk really highly about that one, but you know, all the other main brands out there seem to fail uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you would be the guy that would know know that. I don't have a ton of experience with piston ARs other than shooting them, you know, periodically yeah. um, uh, for a television show or for a, uh, you know, for a magazine article or something like that. But it is kind of neat in your in your perspective to get to see how long these things run and maybe not as much as Battlefield Vegas, but Tracy Rifle and Pistol, you still get these guns being shot daily and you could see what holds up, what doesn't. And that could give you kind of a good idea as far as what you want. Yeah, on, that's kind of how gun. I go selecting my own gear, you know. They're all your guinea pigs and they're <laughs> paying for it. No, pretty much. You know, we like we got one of those new uh, Ruger American pistols in and um, throw it on the range. Why not? See what happens. You know, Absolutely. That, that's the best test because you can have inexperienced people running the gun and that way it gives it more chance for, fa- you know, kind of more chance for failure, more chance to find those errors. Yeah, I shot the new um, Ruger American Pistol Compact. I really like it. I mean, it is a little bulkier than a Glock, which is what I'm used to carrying. But functionality-wise and everything else, I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't know why Ruger, it, I mean, just insists gun. building their guns out of Legos. I, I do not get that. They model them out of Legos and then build them. I, I don't know what the deal is. Everything's square, bulky. I mean, that thing weighs twice as much as it should. As I'm looking around the studio at all of these Lego sculptures... <laughs> I love Legos, man. <laughs> awesome. I, I love Legos, but I don't uh, I don't use them to model my new gun. Cause, you know. Sure. Um, you know, that, that kind of leads us into, uh, my rant of the day. Um, you know, I, I ran, I run into this a lot, um, at the store, you know, someone will come in asking about, a uh, tell, you know, they're, they're going to come in they say they want a new home defense gun. And, you know, my first question is, okay, what, what do you shoot? Well, what do you have now? Um, and why do you want a new one? Well, this happened, I think, yesterday and a couple of times last week where, where someone will say, well, I have a, you know, like a SIG 226, right? I, I shoot great with it, um, 
but I want a cheaper gun for home defense in case the cops take it. <laughs> in case I have to use it, the cops are going to take it. You know my response to that. You're yeah. an idiot. <laughs> Um, I, I, I just don't get where that, um, where that is, is coming from. That, that makes absolutely no sense to me. If you have a gun that you shoot well, um, whether it's a thousand dollars, $300, it doesn't matter. Um, like we talked with, uh, Justin from us law shield last week, they, the, the, if the cops take your defensive gun and if, when you end up using it, that's going to be, I mean, pennies compared to all your legal costs, all, you know, everything else. Why would you sacrifice quality and, and reliability of a gun to be cheaper when the cops take it? Absolutely. And, and here's the thing. If you have that much emotional investment in your firearm, you might have some other problems. I mean, a fi- firearm is a tool. I mean, a it's tool. a tool. Exactly. <coughs> and I mean, we're not talking, you know, so you're not going to use your, you know, 1962 or SIG P210, you know, $10,000. That, it's not... Not that it wouldn't work. It's just not a um, you know a super collectible. Why would you know? It, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know the the buying a you know some kind of diamond bag or you know something cheap just because you don't want your sig to get taken away makes absolutely no sense to me. Agreed. I remember uh, when you brought out several different ARs. We were actually looking at uh, I think different red dot options, and you brought those out uh, to SWAT training that we were doing. And when I saw you, you know, take all these expensive ARs and kind of toss them in the back of your truck, I knew we'd get along. Because, I mean, it, it, they are tools. And if they can't hold up to that, then why in the hell are you using them? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that was one of the, the first tests was the, the um, I call it the, the aim point zero test. You know, you, you zero up, a, I think it was a T1 at that time, take it off the rifle, chuck it on the concrete as hard as you can and put it back on the rifle and it was right on. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, that might be a little bit extreme for most people, but that's what they're designed to do. Um, you know, you drop your rifle, you you hit it against something, you know, while you're clearing a building or or, or doing whatever in a SWAT or a military situation, you need that thing to, to, to still be on target. Sure. I mean, people get people get carried away with... Uh, yeah, I'm not w- dragging it behind a truck for exactly. 20 miles. Exactly. You know, that, that, that kind of... That, nope. that, that's a little too extreme, but for realistic situations, it's good to test your gear. I, I don't think a lot of people... Uh, a lot of people baby some of their stuff, you know, and I understand again, you bought, you know, you got a brand new $1,500, you know, special night or $3,000, yeah. 1911, whatever. And you don't want it scratched up from the fact I get it. But at the same time, I mean, it, it's a gun. Yeah, I get it too. But I just, I don't, I don't place nearly as much stock or value in a particular gun as I do my ability to use that gun to protect myself. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we've had this discussion a lot and, and it's the old, you know, guy will spend, you know, two grand on a pistol, but won't spend five hundred dollars to learn how to shoot it. So. Well, the and the, the other one that that gets me. This is going to be the, the the second rant of the day. Only is one. A, There's only one per ah, episode. I'm going to get another one in here. Uh, it's <laughs> my show. Be, I do what I want. It's got to be a continuation. Then let's, let's set it up. <laughs> okay, as a that, that that works. Um, so the, so the other one is when a customer, um, you know, decides on a gun, wants to buy it, but doesn't want the one on the shelf because it's been racked by customers. That's awesome. I, I don't understand that. That is I mean, awesome. I love time, this lady. I'm in love with her, but she's been kissed by someone else. I just I can't, <laughs> I can't take her. I, I don't know about all that. That was that. But I mean, the the racking the gun on the the shelf or clearing it is not going to hurt it, guys. I mean, the, every time you fire it, there's an explosion going off there. That slide is moving faster than you can see. Racking it by hand or dropping the slide is not going to damage the gun. 
That's just um, amazing. Yeah, that's that's another one that really... It's uh, not going into the NRA museum, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to wear white gloves to handle this. Yeah. It's going to be something that you carry or use for home defense. Yeah, I, but whatever, you know, we'll, we'll always... We'll, we'll try to get someone, but it's it's funny because sometimes they do that on, on super rare guns that you can't, you know, really just have another one in the back, you know? You then have, there's the other end of the spectrum where dudes, like, don't even ever clean it or yeah. don't ever upkeep it in any way, and it's like the sights are rusted and... Yeah, we get plenty of those too. You know, um, there's been some some odd choices. I like the the home AR gunsmith where we gotta fix all kinds of issues all the time. You know, someone decides to put on their own rail, and of course, the first tool that a home gunsmith uses, Dremel. There you go. <laughs> so, please stop using your Dremels out there, guys. Please, please, please. You know, I got pretty good with a Dremel as a jeweler. I used to, uh, you know, size rings, set diamonds and stuff like that before I became a cop. So um, we used a, a, a tool similar to a Dremel uh, quite often. So I think I can do anything with one, but don't, don't, <laughs> you know I mean? don't take like that advice. Delta rings I've seen cut off because people don't have vices, you know, all that kind of stuff. The, the, the tools really do help, you know. Um, I can put together a pretty good package of of ar you know tools because i've been just doing it so long you know i can i can build uppers do all that but there's there's certain things you just absolutely need and i mean that goes down to you know a vice you can't build you can't work on an ar upper without a vice you can't hold it between your legs you know it just doesn't work uh vice some vice blocks um at the police department we have a lot of that stuff but then a month later we don't have it anymore someone has it at their house yeah that that someone borrows it you know um (laughs) but i you know the the geisley action rods are awesome for for muzzle devices uh that way you're not putting stress on the the upper or the um the wrong parts basically um, so just a couple tools like that, you know, the new Magpul Armors wrench is pretty, pretty damn good. That thing's solid. Um, so there, there are some tools that, that actually make the job a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, that's, you don't need a ton of tools, but it's, it's good to have the one you need when you need it for sure. Yeah. They, they really do. Um, they do make the job a lot easier. Um, switching gears a little bit. So, uh, there. I saw the you know with the, with the election and everything. We didn't talk about the the Nevada Universal Background Check law. You know, we've had that in California here for for a long time, and it's kind of already second nature to me as a dealer, um, just because I have to process them every day. Sure. Um, you know, I was just reading an article I think on uh, Guns dot com or wherever it was how uh, the Nevada you know the 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 ballot initiative passed there barely, but it passed. Um, but there was no real way to implement it. <laughs> so sure. now they're seeking a court order to, to at least delay the implementation because of the, the, the different and you know, the differences in, and how to run the background checks, how much to charge, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, some of the, the anti second amendment, um, gun laws, you know, they, they, they pass these laws, but no real way to implement them. They don't, sure. they don't think about that cart before the horse. A little yeah. Bit. You know, it sounds good on paper, but then, you know, they don't really, really think about that yeah i i agree a talk a little bit mike about the gun uh the uh, gun show loophole uh the <laughs> yeah a lot of a lot of that, that's another rant isn't it no not necessarily that that term gets thrown a lot around a lot um even in california which is weird because there is no um uh, you know legal private party transfer at a gun show in 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 uh california and there hasn't been for a long time but yet you still see these Libtards, is that okay yeah. to say? <laughs> Probably all right. <laughs> um, throwing that phrase around, and it means absolutely nothing. Uh, it just it in California, you know, you have to go through a dealer, do the ten day wait, yada yada, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. To be dead honest, but um, 
you still have to do that. In other states, you know, private people can sell guns to each other just like selling a couch or anything else because it is just an inanimate object. That there, There's no, um, you know, you can't knowingly sell it to a felon or a resident of another state, yada, yada, yada. But that that it's not a loophole. It's, it's selling personal property. Sure. Um, now, how does it work in California when two people come into your shop and one is selling it to the other one. What does that entail? So basically the, the same thing as buying a whole brand new gun. Um, it's the full process. Uh, the state charges 25 bucks. Dealers can charge up to $10. Um, so it costs the, the typically the buyer um, $35, but you have to have the same, you know, it's the same requirements as buying a gun. All the, everything comes into play. We have our firearm safety card thing that people have to do. Sure. Um, and are you are, are gun shops sort of mandated to accept those, or is it up to you whether you do it or not? Uh, or? Gun shops, by law, have to. Okay. Um, it's they like Big Five, for example, doesn't sell handguns, so they've kind of exempted themselves from doing handgun transactions like that. Sure. Um, there, there's a couple other little caveats. I mean, some some stores say, oh, you know, we our our vault is full, we can't process it. Um, it's just kind of because y- you do only. You, you lose money on every single one you do. You really do. Um, Ten dollars isn't enough to cover the the processing time, the the paperwork check time, you know, all that employee time. It, it's a loser every single time. The way I look at it is, it brings a customer into the store. A lot of times, the guy selling the gun now has you know several hundred dollars in his pocket, and a lot of times sure. he leaves that with us. Yeah. Um, not always, but you know, a lot of times uh, people end up, you know, the sellers end up buying something from us. Yeah, the guy's like, I'm already in trouble with my wife anyway. Yeah. <laughs> or the buyer will end up buying you know more magazines or accessories for whatever gun he just bought. So. You have to look at it that way. Without getting in, in too much uh, detail, how do online sales work in California? Uh, online sales in California work just like anywhere else. You know, a lot of these people, again, these the, the, the media talking heads will say, oh, you can buy a gun on your on the, the website and have it shipped straight to your door. For the most part, that's completely false. I mean, there's a, you know, if you're a CNR collector buying older guns or whatever, there, there are a couple exemptions. But for the most part, you know, any modern gun, has to go through a, a federally uh, licensed firearms dealer, so an FFL. Sure. Um, they, you know, you do a transfer, you get it shipped to whatever store you want to. They do the full processing, background check, all that. So it's not, you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there already know this, but it, it's it's not just oh, I'm going to buy, you know, the the new AR on the, the online and have it shipped to my house. Yeah, I mean, it's for people that believe that. Uh, <laughs> You're living in fantasy land. I wish it was that easy. Uh, now, owning upper, a store, not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, uppers, obviously, on an yeah, AR. Parts, the, yeah, parts, all that kind of stuff, you know, stuff. that can get shipped straight to your house. Yeah. So, All right. Well, I think it's about time to speak with John Shahan, who is the uh, Director of Law Enforcement Sales and International Sales for Viridian Green Laser. And I understand he has sort of a tactical background, so it'll be interesting to talk to him not just about Viridian products, but also about the benefits of, of using a laser. Sounds good. Let's go ahead and welcome uh, jo- jo- uh, John in. John, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here with you guys today. And uh, I know that you're, you're relatively new with Viridian Green Laser, a company that I know quite a bit about and, and have uh, some experience with their products. Um, how long you been there and what is your background? Actually, just uh, joined Viridian uh, within the last month here, although uh, I've been familiar with uh, Viridian and uh, Brian Hedin and the guys for more than a year. Uh, got to know Brian while I was still uh, a sergeant with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. 
uh, started talking to him then, uh, very excited about their products, uh, excited about moving back to Minnesota from Las Vegas and, uh, and working here with, uh, with Brian and the folks uh, on, on uh, some tremendous stuff that we've got going here. Uh, born and raised in Minnesota originally. And so it was always kind of part of the plan is when I retired in Vegas to come back here and get around some nice people. <laughs> well, the so, climates uh, are very similar, right? Vegas and Minnesota. I mean, it's oh, all the same yeah, thing. Well, you know, if you go, it, it is if you go to Mount Charleston. Yeah, up in, it, you, you want to get a little bit of Minnesota, you just drive out to Mount Charleston right outside of Vegas, and you're pretty much there. Awesome. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I worked in uh, Las Vegas, uh, Metropolitan Police Department, for 25 years. Uh, of course, came on in uh, 1990 as a as a patrol cop, and quickly worked, went to a street narcotics unit. Uh, worked there, and then uh, went to an organized crime unit where I worked organized crime and gangs. Worked in an undercover capacity, did some federal stuff, and then in 1996, uh, everybody said the hardest thing to do would be to get into Las Vegas SWAT. So of course, I had to try to do that. I tested to go to SWAT, and I made it. Awesome. And uh, stayed there for half my career. Absolutely uh, loved it. I've got about 3,000 live missions under my belt. Uh, as, uh, everything from an entryman to uh, uh, team leader for Red Team. Did you ever to, get to rappel down the Bellagio? Uh, I got to rappel down some other stuff, but not the Bellagio. <laughs> There's another hotel that I may or may not have had a part in, in doing that. Uh, yes. John, don't worry. For the podcast, we'll black out your eyes so you well, won't be The video's be not recorded at all. No, it's all good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, and then uh, I became a, a sniper in uh, 2001, 2002. I uh, went to H&K Sniper School, and then I went to a really good sniper school in 07, uh, GPS Precision Sniper School out in uh, Carefree, Arizona, uh, run by a guy named Bill Graves. It's an amazing school. And uh, I've uh, also, on 2005, my uh, partner Jody Vanek and I took third place in the uh, OPTAC World Sniper Championships at awesome. Camp Atterbury, Indiana. Um, it's been a great career. I've got uh, great stories for my grandkids someday, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, and that's I awesome. Dump, I did a dumb thing in 2008 and got myself promoted and uh, became a sergeant and uh, went back to patrol for a short while and uh, then took over a uh, street robbery squad uh, for a time where we worked uh, nothing but uh, violent offenders, robbers around the Las Vegas area. And then the last portion of my career, I uh, went to the executive staff position at Las Vegas Metro and became the deputy director of public information and communications and uh, finished out my career there working for our sheriff. We have an elected sheriff there. So uh, that's awesome. Great time. Amazing career. And uh, a little bit of everything. Congratulations on 20, 25 years. Yeah, 25 years and really some scars and broken bones, but uh, no holes that didn't heal. Well, I, I, I'm you five years ago. I, I, I have five to go, You're so I'm, counting I'm, try, down I'm the... trying to get there. Not that I'm counting or anything. <laughs> you got it down to hours. I'll tell you something. The last five go so fast. Gosh, I love you saying that. <laughs> awesome. Start, start so, prepping now. So let's talk a little bit now. I mean, obviously, you have a ton of experience. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about lasers uh, before we get into the specifics of Viridian Green Lasers. Talk a little bit about your thoughts on lasers, how they could be beneficial, and why someone should have one. You know, my, my position on lasers has evolved over the years from back in the 90s when I just wasn't so sure that you really should be looking for a red dot. Lots of naysayers back then, I remember. Lots of naysayers, and uh, I really need to be looking at their hands and not looking at a red dot to uh, realizing that you can do that. 
and uh, as the quality of lasers has improved in the course with Viridian's green lasers, which are so much easier to pick up sure. and uh, that you're uh, able to see. Uh, but none of what I'm going to relate to you uh, is really intended to suggest that the laser would supplant uh, good shooting techniques, responsible uh, uh, sight alignment, trigger control, the things that are, you know, are basics in firearms training that you absolutely uh, need. You need a fantastic foundation before you can even consider using a laser. Um, but, you know, just from the ground up, uh, once you have those basic fundamentals and you are a good shooter and uh, you're following all the basics, I think from the standpoint of uh, just starting at the beginning from facilitating uh, your training and your practice, if you were to be able to uh, put a laser on your weapon nowadays and dry fire it at home, uh, you know, of course I can I can sit and I can uh, press on that trigger and maybe I'll see the sight move just a little bit, uh, maybe I won't. But if I've got a laser on and it's pointed at the, at the wall across the room, and I'm watching that laser move a lot, of course, any uh, deviation. If I've got too much finger in the trigger, too little, if I'm jerking, not pressing, those type of things are going to be amplified and you're going to see it on that laser across the room. So important to try to minimize that. So through dry fire exercises and utilizing a laser, you can really perfect uh, your ability to, uh, uh, to, to press that trigger in an adequate uh, manner. I think yeah. you're, you're right on the money with that, John. I think a lot of people sort of overlook or gloss over the benefits that a laser can provide for a new shooter. Especially for dry fire. Absolutely, and make dry fire, quite frankly, a little bit more interesting than it, than it otherwise may be. But it's not just the new shooter that can benefit from a laser. And I was sort of a naysayer as well several years ago um, until, quite frankly, I was with Brian Hedin. We were filming something, and I started shooting his products and I and I saw that my group size was you know uh, significantly smaller than it was without the laser and I turned to him and I said hey you may be onto something with this whole laser thing he started laughing don't ever call Brian Hedin old because we're the exact same age but uh, that's just a, a caveat but um no I think that a lot of people think that it's either all or nothing with a laser it's not all or nothing you got to know how to shoot with iron sights just as you mentioned because that's the lowest common denominator but my feeling is why would you not give yourself every advantage if you were going to be in a self-defense situation um, and quite frankly with the laser you can make that really precise shot a little more easy um, glass break in the middle of the night you grab your gun it has a laser on it well guess what you're going to be focused on this threat well, with the laser, you can be focused on the threat and still aim. You're not trying to go from rear sight to front sight to threat. So it does greatly uh, simplify the aiming process. And, and I'm a fan, but, but like you so eloquently stated, it's not just a matter of um, not being able to use iron sights. You don't use la a laser as a crutch. So. Exactly. You can't do that. And, and that's my fear is, is that we go and we sell products to people that think, well, now I don't need to learn how to shoot. I've got this laser, the laser's going to do all the work for me. And, uh, you know, you just wish to, to goodness you could impart that wisdom on people that were to purchase these things because, um, you know, it's such an important uh, ability to have that foundation going in. And it's, you're talking about an enhancement on your weapon that's going to save your life. But basically, you still have to be able to operate that weapon. What if that laser goes down? You always have to plan for the worst. We know that is cops, right? I mean, we know Murphy's sure. always going to come into play. So you've got to have those building blocks there. And uh, like you said, you need every advantage, um, you know, uh, when you're going through this. And even when you're training with it, it, it goes beyond the drive fire where you can also 
uh, it can be a great benefit in live fire because you know your perfect sight alignment, perfect trigger control, uh, perfect weaver isosceles stance, and you've got that laser pointed right down at the X ring on that silhouette, you know, uh, 10, 15 yards away. But then all of a sudden, it flies left, flies right, flies low. What are we doing wrong? Well, that gives you a chance to reevaluate uh, exactly where the issues are that you're having uh, by utilizing that laser as well. I just, I, I, I think it's it can be of a tremendous benefit. It also helps your aim in low light uh, conditions. Whereas, uh, you know, if you're just using uh, night sights, for instance, well, now I'm focusing on trying to find that front sight while I'm still trying sure. to focus on finding that threat at the same time. But with a laser, my lag time decreases tremendously because I'm already, as it's com coming out of holster, or if I'm already out of holster, as I'm coming up to present to possibly fire, I'm more focused on what that actual threat is, and I'm not focused on, geez, do I have good front sight alignment on this? Am I really going to be able to make the shot? Another thing that I've, uh, you know, uh, th that I can impart too is, is that in officer-involved shootings, you know, you're lucky uh, nationally if an officer-involved uh, shooting ra ratio is about 25% mm -hmm. hit rate, and uh, that. There have been studies that uh, I think Crimson Trace has done a study. I know that there have been other studies, uh, FBI's done that it can improve as much as 80 to 85, 90 percent if you are using a laser and you are in an officer-involved shooting. Well, the same thing would also uh, it, it, it would make sense in the civilian world too. Sure, uh, it's, it's good common sense for anybody that's that's got a laser with their weapon. You know, what works with the cops is absolutely going to work with the general public and as John, well. And, John, you know, piggybacking on that, um, we all use tasers as, as law enforcement officers, and we know the psychological deterrent when, when the uh, laser from your taser is on a suspect that sometimes uh, they could be motivated to comply when they might not otherwise have been. The same, obviously, can be said uh, when you have a laser mounted to your firearm. I mean, there's that. When the guy sees that there's a green dot on his chest, he may suddenly be less motivated to continue the attack. Isn't it funny how the bad guy on the street learns that the learning curve is real fast? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Something like that. It really is. Or, you know, it probably takes a few weeks when they find out the cops have green lasers on their guns and, you know, they better comply. Now, speaking of that, how many, uh, well, roughly, how many do departments run lasers? You know, I, it, I think it varies by department. It's going to vary by department policy. Uh, I know that uh, the, the department I came from, yes, you may use utilize a laser. Um, we obviously, like Rich just said, uh, our tasers also have lasers on them as well. So uh, it would vary by department policy around the nation on something like that. Yeah, I noticed uh, going through a lot of departments, it, it, it always depends on uh, the kind of the, the, the command or the, 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 the good old boy, the, the, the guys that are, you know, been around forever. And I think... Um, <laughs> well, as John can attest, I'm sure as a citizen, I used to naively believe that like when or when I was a new cop even that before, you know, purchasing however many units of something to, to issue to the officers, that there was this extensive training and evaluation period that took place wrong. It's, you know, the lieutenant or captain or whatever it is happens to know someone who's his old buddy who works for some company. And so well, we'll take, you know, 50,000 of those without oftentimes without doing a thorough test and evaluation. So sometimes well, it, you get gear that's not super appropriate or... Well, it's funny because, you know, I, I as part of Tracy Police Supply, I, I go out to these departments and try to sell stuff. And it's funny trying to sell 
especially you know you, you get the 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 guys that are just against red dot sites on on carbines or or whatever reason just because oh irons have always worked and they're going to work for me you know that getting over that i think would be a big hurdle for 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 laser sales in a sure. department hey, yeah john, i agree john why green um Talk a little bit about that because people might not understand uh, the difference between green and, and red. Well, it's green originally back when lasers first came out. Uh, they, they thought it was going to be a lot more expensive and uh, a lot bulkier to produce a green laser than a red laser. Uh, it was more cost efficient to do it in red. Uh, but green is more visible in the spectrum than red is. Uh, so it's easier for our eyes as human beings to pick up that green light than it is for us to pick up that red light. Uh, it's more readily visible to us, especially in a low light condition. Also, if you have any particulate matter in the air, uh, say there's any dust, if you're uh, in, uh, in, in a fog or a rainy situation, anything of that nature, you're actually going to see that green beam coming out of the weapon and not just the dot. And that's so, so important, uh, you know, and also just as a deterrent, like we talked about uh, sure. a minute or two ago with the bad guy, all of a sudden they see that thing and, hey, this ain't a Pink Floyd light show, all right? This is a real, <laughs> this is a, a green laser on a, on a weapon and it's pointed at me. So hey, John, it's, just, we, it's a lot more effective. Yeah, I noticed that we, um, we had a part-time SWAT team that I was the leader of for a while, a couple of years ago. Um, maybe it's three years ago now, but we had a certain um, light laser combo on our pistols, and uh, I brought uh, one of Ridian's products out there, and side by side, we actually did a, a test and evaluation. Imagine that. It's probably because I'm not of rank. <laughs> but uh, but we actually did a test and evaluation, and unanimously, everybody wanted the Viridian. That's what our SWAT guys carry to this day because it is so much more visible. And unlike some other um, green laser products, as you kind of mentioned this, it is a pretty sleek package. It's durable, but yet it's not bulky. It's not heavy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the initial stages, um, green also uh, they had difficult making uh, difficulty making them compact because uh, the battery, right? It required so much more battery than a red. A lot of laser. battery life. Yeah, yeah, it did. It required a lot of battery life. That was a huge issue too. And uh, just as technology's improved, I mean, it's uh, it, it's amazing to uh, you know tour and uh, go around the, uh, the facility here and talk to the different designers and say, hey, this is the problem that we're having. And then watch them in two weeks on a 3D printer come up with a solution to that problem. And to see how compact uh, and lightweight uh, the products that Viridian is making, comparatively speaking, to some of the stuff that, you know, that, that I used to use or that, that was used back in the day. Heck, I remember when I first went to SWAT, you remember the old, uh, Rich, you remember the old Surefire 6P flashlights? Yeah. It stuck out like a lightsaber yep. off the end of your pistol. The only and good thing about that is it gives you a little standoff if you're doing a contact shot. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it that's... worked out for that. But, yeah, you're right. It, um, you know, and, and that's Viridian's strong point. And then the other strong point we got to remember, too, is instant-on technology. Sure. And, uh, you know, you're trying to make something that we know as cops um, – that if you can make something and we can screw it up, we're going to screw it up. <laughs> and uh, we're not going to get it turned on right or, you know, what have you. Um, you know, it's good. The, the battery's going to run down or whatever. When, you know, when, when I was a sergeant, it was incumbent upon me to ensure that my officers uh, tested their tasers every night before they went out on the street. And uh, so when I came to Viridian, I said, look, we've got to have a method uh, if we're going to sell this uh, as a duty weapon accessory 
that an officer or the officer's direct supervisor can, you know, see, hey, yeah, you're charged up, you're good to go for the night. So an LED readout, something like that. That's the type of innovation that Viridian is known for. And that's what we're doing here is, uh, and I believe that's why they hired me because I'm the biggest naysayer. I came from an executive staff on a police department where if I wasn't the guy saying, no, we're not doing that because it's not the way we've always done it, I was hearing the other guys and gals in the room saying that. So you have to come up with counters to every everything a naysayer is going to say. Um, well, how many lumens are you pushing out? Uh, is there a way uh, that the uh, officer can subvert this system or uh, turn it off, uh, turn off the instant on or you know, uh, anything like that. I went through this when we uh, went to body cams at uh, Las Vegas Metro. We were the largest police department in the nation at the time to go to body cameras. And the questions and the vetting and everything that we did to, uh, to uh, you know, get the right product and we eventually settled on an Axon system. But, um, you know, and the, and the testing and evaluation was quite extensive. Well, that's what I'm trying to bring here to Viridian to ensure that Uh, When we walk into a law enforcement agency or we have one of our suppliers uh, go and uh, and show our products to a law enforcement administrator, that those questions are already answered. They're already coming off the tip of their tongue before the, the, you know, the chief or the sheriff or their designee can actually even say something about it. Yeah, you you touched sorry, Rich. Uh, you you touched on it a little bit, but that brings us to our next point: is is dealing with activation. You know, there, there's hardware and software solutions for that. Um, can you speak a little bit more about how uh, Viridian approaches that problem and how your training changes? How uh, you know that 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 draw might change, may not change, depending on the product you have. Yeah, actually, the draw won't change at all. If you are using a tack light, your draw is going to stay the same. And Viridian Instant On. Uh, is compatible with just about every type of duty holster made out there. Uh, actually, Safari Land makes a Viridian variant for a duty holster. Uh, as far as uh, for concealed carry, uh, we sell a kit that uh, will work with just about every holster on the market, from uh, Safari Land, Galco, anything uh, in the pants. We also manufacture our own uh, in-house that we can that we sell with the products as well so um you know it's it's on all the time what we're also looking at doing is is to uh uh to increase battery life uh, in case somebody were to uh be out at the range and didn't necessarily want it on uh a they could turn it off on the unit or we're also developing a training collar that would actually uh it's a magnetic system a clamp that would go over the unit were you to leave your weapon out for an extended period of time uh if you didn't want the weapon on uh, that you could use, utilize that too. So again, you have to come up with solutions for, you know, future issues or what people are going to uh, say, well, you don't have this and we need it. Well, we're already trying to build on that. Sure. So uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but, but uh, with instant on technology, uh, there's a, uh, a, uh, I just meant for the people that don't know what instant on is, uh, if you could kind of describe that a little bit. Sure. There's actually a uh, it, it's all based off a, a, a magnet system where we've got a, a, a device in the holster. It's a very small part in the holster that reacts and turns on and off the actual system as as the weapon would go into the holster. Well, I should have one laying around here, but no, he ran out of the room. with it. Sorry. <laughs> I got it. Um, but that uh, you're able to uh, it's also on the unit. So it actually, the holster is what's turning on and off the unit. So there's no um, buttons to press. Like, exactly. Like, I don't know how many times you did, Rich, in SWAT, but you had your tack light out of your holster 
you had your, your weapon out of your holster, your tack lights on, and okay, the room's clear, and now I holster, but I left my tack light on, and I just burned through two lithium batteries. Sure. And that's coming out of my own pocket. Well, with Viridian, we don't need to worry about that because with instant on and instant off technology, it's already on as it's coming out of the holster. And then as I'm putting it back in the holster, it goes off. So what's uh, great about that's, you know, it's a tremendous uh, cost savings benefit. A, B, you don't have the lag time of turning on and off that tack light. Uh, If you need it off, if you want to move and you want to move, you can turn it off manually once it's out, out of the holster. Uh, there are just uh, so many good reasons and zero reasons not to have sure. it. Sure. And what's cool is if you have a light laser combo uh, with uh, ECR, as you draw, it, it's going to come on, but it's going to come on exactly how you programmed it to come on. Like if you want strobe and steady laser, in other words, strobing light and steady laser, or you just want the laser or you just want the light. I mean, it's it's kind of a cool a cool setup. And and with the Viridian products, they do have quite, quite a few options. Um, but at the same time, it's pretty intuitive how to how to scroll through those and, and choose the one that you want. Absolutely, it's 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 pretty much foolproof. When you uh, pull it out of the box and you look through the manual, it's uh, very easy. It's just pressing a series. The, the, Wait, the people read the manuals to, to get what you want. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, a lot of people don't read the manuals. And that's <laughs> a problem. You know, I just uh, talked to a guy last week, didn't know how to use our system, and. Uh, Figured the uh, that that uh, it's just a regular laser and didn't know anything about the instant on and instant off and then he he felt a little silly when we uh, we showed him no well this is how you do it and it'll come on automatically and he's uh, you know he kept bringing up the rest of the conversation <laughs> about how how silly he felt Amazing. about not, not yeah. reading the owner's manual yeah awesome. but uh, again that's that that's a challenge that, uh, that that's a pretty minor one so what are you um kind of on a personal level, what are you seeing as the difference between being a cop for 25 years and now working in the private sector? Uh, maybe a little bit more political correctness, uh-huh. I, would, I would guess, would be the big one. Uh, uh, that's a lot different. Um, you know, other than that, I don't try to be different or I, I'm pretty much the same guy I was before, uh, you know, before I came here. So I had a chance to kind of, uh, uh, slowly work my way into this position with Viridian. Uh, and like the week after I retired to Las Vegas, I got a call from Universal Pictures and uh, I was uh, chosen to be the uh, technical advisor, the SWAT and police technical advisor for Jason Bourne. Nice. And uh, I worked on the uh, Bourne movie. Uh, the one where they the blew up Vegas the- last shot show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that I was I fun. Or not, but yeah, I was out there. Oh, I, I got woken up at four in the morning by explosions. And the, it, that, 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 that had a uh, pucker some buttholes. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I was in, involved in that from uh, uh, the, the third quarter of 2015 through uh, the beginning of this year. And, uh, and you, you have to be able to get your point across to these Hollywood people in a very tactful manner because they don't understand cop speak. They want you there for the authenticity and to make sure everything is, is great. But uh, I had to practice my tact and my diplomacy. You, you can't say, hey. Telling them that keep, the uh, actors that they were hiring were being idiots. You can't say, so, hey, keep uh, your finger straight, stupid. That doesn't go very well, far. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you said that because, yeah, they'll bring in actors. And then it was my job to take a actor, uh, like 12 actors, put them in a warehouse. And I got out some of my red guns and to... Uh, give an actor a red gun and tell him I want him to move from one end of the room to the other. And uh, they're holding a red gun, but they're scared of it, thinking somehow it's going to discharge <laughs> and go off. 
And uh, you know, it's, uh-huh. you're you're not dealing with somebody with the mentality that we have. Sure. Did Did and you tell him? Try to kind of slow down a little bit, do a little more diplomatic, and uh, get your point across, and try to get them uh, to look as realistic as possible when they're portraying these characters on screen. Instead of Charlie's Angels with the gun, you know, <laughs> in the high. You know, that's. I used to say that too. I don't. I don't want to see the high Sabrina. Yeah, high or Sabrina. I don't want to see the low Crockett. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what nice. I used to call that um, nice. when I was training in the police academy, too. I said, do not stand up against the door frame and show me the high Sabrina. <laughs> I don't want to see the low Sonny Crockett either, okay? Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely a consideration. Well, great. Well, uh, does Viridian have anything uh, that you can share with us that's uh, maybe a, a new product, either recently released or something that's coming out that you guys really want to bring to our attention? We, we, I would love to be able to share with you what we've got coming out, but uh, unfortunately we're going to break it, uh, cut loose with it at the SHOT Show, and I think awesome. Brian would probably make me the shortest lived employee at Meridian <laughs> if I got with you right now. But needless to say, it's, uh, it's pretty revolutionary. Um, it's one of the big reasons why I, uh, I wanted to join Meridian, and I'm completely excited about it. Other than that, uh, of course, we are extending our product lineup uh, to more weapons manufacturers. We just got off the phone with uh, Walther a little while ago, and uh, we're working on something for them for their new, their update on their CCP. So, uh, you know, we're uh, excited about everything that's going on right now. Um, you know, like I said, I can't believe how much stuff is in development here at this company, and suggestions are taken very seriously and, uh, and put into action very quickly, which is very refreshing to see in this day and age. Yeah, it's a good group of guys. I'm sure you're going to have a heck of a time there. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, John. Well, hey, thanks for making time for us today, brother, and congratulations on your uh, retirement from law enforcement. Looks like you're going to do a lot of uh, great things, and uh, we appreciate all the information about Viridian Green Laser. Yeah, people uh, people bet. out there, viridiangreenlaser.com, uh, great place, or check out your local gun store. That's always my uh, my suggestion. Uh, That's right. You know, we do we do stock a lot of stuff. Uh, if you have any questions for us, it's podcast at thehollowpoint.net. Uh, check out check us out on uh, Twitter, THP Podcast, Facebook. Uh, send us some emails. We're uh, we're happy to ask whatever questions you have. And uh, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.